and and then breaking into touch of gray while he just started peeking on shrooms. As we approached the final tour for Dead & Company, summer of 2023, we wanted to document the experiences of fellow deadheads and tourheads we've met along the way, as well as some of the legendary figures who've played a larger part in keeping the wheel of the Grateful Dead experience and culture rolling. We've met some pretty cool friends and characters along the way and felt this was a good opportunity to sit down, shoot the shit, and share with you some tales both adventuresome and sometimes tragic and usually psychedelic. Buckle up, kids. It's Dead Tour Tales time. Welcome back to Dead Tour Tales. Today, we welcome our friend and recent collaborator, Randy Friedman of Woven Free. We discuss Randy's psychedelic entry into the world of the Grateful Dead, courtesy of his older brother. We talk about his time as Ben Harper's guitar tech and numero uno. We discuss his love for small batch, high quality craftsmanship via his company, Woven Free, alongside his uber talented girlfriend, Rachel Rainwater. We even get mentions of a couple of skate legends, Tony Alva and Ray Barbie. We had such a good time shooting the shit with Randy that we're going to break it up into two episodes and give you double the goodness. So buckle up for part one of Sir Randy Friedman from the House of Woven Free. Welcome, Randy. Welcome, Randy. Good to Thank you. Thank you guys day. for having me. Yeah, it's Appreciate good to have you board, man. Um, so real quick, just tell us, you're, you're, so you're, you're, you're hopping in the car, you're driving down south. You're in L.A. area right now? Yeah, so I'm just I'm just um, like in, I'm in Santa Ana, so I'm just yeah, about okay. 45 miles southeast of LA. And um, today I'm actually heading up to our office. We have a small office near Ventura. Nice. And uh, the challenge is, as most people who deal with traffic daily know, is that you know to get like 45, 50 miles could take like two hours. So I try yeah. to time it. Try try to time it right. It makes the day that much better. But yeah, so on my way up to the office right now. Nice. Awesome. Good. Big fan of Ventura. I'm actually wearing, you can't see because you're, you're an audio only today, but uh, I'm wearing my Ventura cap uh, today. All right. Yeah. So Ventura is a, a great I, place. I, don't know why. I feel, I feel connected to Ventura for some reason. I could see why you would. Yeah. I never, I've definitely. never been to Ventura. I, I lived in San Diego for three years, but I never, never went to Ventura. How'd you like San Diego? It was, it was great. I mean, it was, it was a big change. I was out there from 96 to 99 and I'd come from Cincinnati and that was the first time living in California. But, you know, SoCal is a whole nother experience than Northern California, you know? Yeah, it is. So, but I mean, I really liked it. I mean, I lived all over the place, lived in, you know, Ocean Beach, Point Loma, you know, San Ysidro. I was involved okay. in a lot of madness down, down were, you were there. you were working at a taco shop in ocean yeah, beach well, right? is that what you were doing it, well you, kind of i was for, working at ocean beach but i wasn't what were you working doing at for work <laughs> when you were there i should have should have been i should if i would have known spanish i would have been much better off than what i was doing but you know it, yeah my backyard was the border and the people i lived with um i actually had the fbi knock on our door because the owner of the house was in huge credit card fraud but he was on the run in the philippines oh wow <laughs> and we had a car full of machine guns in the garage oh did you wow yeah. <laughs> i didn't know about it. it was the other people we were living with that you know they were well, like no yeah. no garage no no i was like oh shit did they get in there and find him? No, they were no, they were just looking for the other guy for the credit card fraud <laughs> and they made me come out this like little white kid with dreads and they're just like the guy's like, was, do you know what's going it? on here? And I was like, no. He's like, you should probably, you should, you should probably get you out. You probably should get know what's going people. on. You know, I'm like, okay, whatever. Yeah, you know? That's yeah. the one time where they believe someone who said, I have no idea what's going on here. You know, yeah, that's the, the one, one time in history they believed it. <laughs> right. And, and then I was white. Like was There's true. like, yeah, white guy. It it's okay. <laughs> <laughs> oh, wow. So, all right. Enough okay, of SoCal. So let's jump in. Let's do it. Okay, cool. So, so you're, you're heading up to the office for a bit. Um, uh up to ventura and then any plans to head down to mexico yeah my soon yeah my family my family lives down there um, my brother and his wife and my nephew live just south of actually um did you ever get down to the guadalupe valley 
Valle de Guadalupe when you were in I, San I Diego? Did you, did no. You no, 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 no. Okay, because it's a, it's only about it's just over an hour south of the border from mm -hmm. San Ysidro, and it's just mm -hmm. beautiful. It's it's a lush valley that actually has it's it's in a way it's it's similar to Napa, but also has the coastal element. Oh, and wow. there's a ton of like uh, craft vineyards, um, all kinds wow. of great uh, farm to table restaurants, um, awesome. all like, you know, outdoor. It's, it's beautiful there. So my brother has a few cabins there. He has a, like an eco retreat. So they live there as well. And they manage the location from there. So uh, I'll go see them. It's easy to get to from across the border. But my parents, they live all the way down in Cabo. And you know, they're getting a little bit older, need some help from time to time. So that's the tricky one because it's about a 20-hour drive from San Ysidro. Oh, yeah. So, um, you know, if I have to go there on a whim, I, I, I have driven a few times, but I, I'll probably fly. So no yeah. plans right now <laughs> to go down there, but it, it could change uh, any day. We'll see. You were, you were telling me in a previous conversation too, Randy, what a sketchy drive it is too, right? Like you can only drive during oh. the daytime and... Uh, yeah, I mean, highly recommended. One of those things that, like, at first, um, you know, you tell somebody, you hear yourself say, like, I wouldn't drive at night, and then I, I feel like almost like a baby saying it. But then, right, like but then, coupe. when you get down there, these there's these certain stretches where there's like they're like uh, one lane highways, um, uh, nothing in between each direction at all, except like a, a half painted line, and then you're perched up. Um, where each side there's no shoulder and each side there's nowhere to go but down anywhere from like 10 to 50 feet and so um, people try to pass there's a lot of um, cargo so there's a lot of semis and people try to like recklessly pass and um, it's uh, it's scary I mean I've had moments yeah, where I've so like slammed the brakes pulled all the way as far as I could leaning halfway off the road and like really thought that that was it and that was during the day so yeah, there's wow. some long stretches, but really the roads are, are, are mostly um, highly improved. I've driven, you know, probably five or six times back and forth. It's, it's roughly a thousand miles and it's it, more than anything, if you just stay focused and take your time, the terrain is so interesting. I mean, it's just like one minute you're on the Pacific side and there's like rocky cliffs. And then the next minute you're kind of going east across the peninsula to the Gulf of California or the Sea of Cortez, which really it's only about like a 50 mile distance across the peninsula. You're in the desert. Yeah. And then all the different, yeah, cactuses in a wide range of like desert vegetation, all kinds of interesting things. And then you're up in the mountains. Um, there's a place called Catavina that's just about eight hours south of the border. And it's just, it's like haunted, but like also magical, just wow. a small like town right in the middle of the mountain pass. And then you drop down to the Sea of Cortez. Yeah, in like one day, like you'll see so many different landscapes. It's just, um, it's nice to not have to drive if you could sit in the passenger seat and just kind of look around. It's, it's quite an experience, but um, highly recommend driving the peninsula if, if for anyone who never has. It's, it's super I, I interesting. Yeah, it's been it's been quite a number of years, but I used to go to Cabo uh, fairly frequently once once a year or so of surf trips and yep. uh, used to drive from from Cabo. Uh, and I just vaguely remember driving over. I, I vaguely remember the drive, but I, what I remember what was really impressed upon me was at a certain point, kind of like you're saying, driving through desert and all the different cactus and desert vegetation and, you know, drive it's all dry and you're driving through and you kind of get to like a peak of a hill and you can see down for quite a while uh to basically to to the pacific ocean oh yeah and yeah in between you're at the, like the top of this hill and you're in the middle of the desert but then you can see lush mango groves yeah uh, yeah like it's a, a, it's pretty insane I, Santos, it's funny you like say that towards Toto santos Yep, right. Oh, Todos is amazing. Yeah. It's funny you say that because there's been a few times where I've been driving and I've hit one of those peaks and then you kind of drop out and you like the expanse of what you can suddenly see from really not being able to see anything once you get over the peak. Like I've completely lost my orientation and sober. Okay. <laughs> I've like completely lost my orientation, just looking down and driving like wow. in a good way, really. But yeah. at the same time, I was just like, I wish I wasn't driving because you could really take it in and have an experience if, if you're you know not driving but yeah what what Mexico a great ride so yeah i love mexico so yeah the whole family's down there i'm sure i'll be you know down there soon i'm always going back and forth right on speaking of which we could tie it right in because my brother who 
uh, let's see, I was born in 74. So I'm 48 and my brother's three, three years older than me. He's the one who took me to my first Grateful Dead show. So I think everyone, mm. you know, has some version of the story, whether it's an older brother, maybe a younger one, even a friend, um, parent, parent in a lot of cases. Mm-hmm. Um, Especially this day and age. Right? Yeah. Yeah. So, so with me, it was my brother and um, he got lucky uh, because my experience with my first show, I didn't get it or love it or have, have the experience that enabled me to like grab onto it the way I soon enough would, but it wasn't at my first show. His first show, the way he described it to me was, it was uh, the 89 forum show in Inglewood in the old Mm. great Western forum where the Lakers used to, which is now redone and it's, it's amazing. But, um, yeah, yeah. It it was, um, back then it was just classic. So that's where like the Pat Riley Showtime Lakers played. I was just going to say that. Yeah. That's where the Lakers played. So his experience was, it was actually a friend who was younger than him took him. And, and at that, at that time he was, I think like 17, his first show and they had a place for him right up front. So his first experience was he walked in, got in late. I think he said they opened with touch of gray. I forget exactly, but he had eaten like some mushrooms like an hour earlier, walked in late, his buddy grabbed him, pulled him in, kind of had no idea what was going on. Um, Cause he had never been to a show and hadn't listened to the dead before. And wow. his first experience of, of hearing the, like any notes from the grateful dead were standing right at Jerry's feet, PA into the ear, into the right ear, you know, stage left house, right. And, and then mushrooms. breaking into touch of gray while he just started peeking on shrooms. Oh, wow. So he was, he was right on board from like second one. Me, it was, um, it was Vegas. I think it was it was 90 and it was early summer and it was right after Brent. And I had no idea what that meant at the time, you know, who was who in the band. And um, it was just so big out there at the Silver Bowl and hard to hear. Hard, the, the scene was just so overwhelming and they would call it the Dust Bowl. I don't know if you guys ever made it out there, but it was just like it would get so dusty out there in the desert. Um, and so I just couldn't kind of figure out what was going on. I couldn't hear it right. Or I just, I just didn't connect, even though like I had it in me, I left that show and I was just like, God, I don't know. I'll go back, but you know, I'm just, I'm just not sure. So I, I couldn't, I couldn't connect with it for a lot of reasons, but, but for me, um, August 16th and I always, this date just rings in my head of 91. I went a couple more times throughout the year, um, of 90, and liked it enough to keep going. But August 16th, 91 was when I had a decent understanding for the band, how the set lists go. It was Shoreline, end of summer run for them. They usually, you know, would do two uh, late spring, early summer, and then again in August or September. And um, it was just like, at that, the, the, a couple notable things were, uh, Bob did a Desolation Row in the first set, had this acoustic Ooh. guitar that he pulled out for it and it was just scared the shit out of me. It was just haunting. It was just Wait, like Hornsby, Hornsby must have been on, on keys also. Yeah. Show, yeah. Right? The, yeah. That was, um, you know, I even think Hornsby and Vince for, yeah. for most of my shows, at least the first couple. Yeah. And then yeah. Hornsby split and it was Vince. But so I, re- I remember just how haunting it was and just being like literally scared when, when Bob went to that desolation row. But, and then, <laughs> and then dark star first set, and I remember walking God, around whoa. at the set break and I didn't fully understand like what that meant at the time. Like I was starting the to get a feel of a first set dark star, but here's and, what and, I knew. And... Yeah. But here's what I knew. I loved about it. The whole intermission, all you heard was whispers everywhere and just people astounded first set dark star for, I, I must've heard wow. a thousand people talking about it. And, and I love that aspect of the dead, the, of the, the Grateful Dead, the way they played songs, the set list, how we all picked up on it. Um, mm-hmm. It had that nuance to it that made it feel like, almost like once in a lifetime. Things could happen almost totally. like every day, or uh, we'll talk about Jerry in a moment, especially with his kind of playing personality, but things could almost happen at any moment on any day that made you feel like that's the only time that'll ever happen. And, and sometimes even if it wasn't, but I, I picked up on that, even though I didn't know the, you know, like you said, the importance of, of what it meant to have a first set Dark Star, but second set now, 
I understood Scarlet Fire. When I heard Scarlet, I thought, okay, fire, you know, and, and as you're kind of coming along, it's like, okay, you hear playing in the band. It's like, okay, Uncle John's. So I'm, I'm, I love Fire on the Mountain. I was high as could be. And um, then here comes Bob and it's like, wait, this isn't Fire on the Mountain. Victim. And it brought me uh, right yeah. back heard, yeah. to the first set, <laughs> even though he wasn't on acoustic, but it brought yep. me right back to that first set, Desolation Row Vibe. And now That's I was beyond haunting, scared. Haunting I was ready to too. run. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> it's kind of, it, Go ahead. Sorry, sorry. No. It, especially with a head full of psychedelics, victim of the, or the crime could be a little haunting, a little intense, um, a little scary. Yeah, I can totally know. see that. Well, also, too, it, suddenly it becomes like introspective. And this is one of the things I like. And in some of the videos of Jerry talking about, you know, how he saw the experience or what it must could be like to be a deadhead, the, the emotional nature where like in a given night um, and the whole trip of going with your friends, but in that given night where you're at the show, um, the range of emotions that you're taken through are, are radical. Mm -hmm. It's not just like you're sitting there listening to music and it's good and you get a little bit emotional here or there. It, it's a roller coaster ride and, you, and, and, it'll, and it challenges you. And so for me on that night, totally. I um, at that point was like, I don't know if I should run, whatever. My brother was watching over me and I was like, <laughs> I, I think I got to go. Like, I don't know what to do, but I love this, but I can't, I can't deal with it. You know, I got, got super introspective and then suddenly, <laughs> and I was like, oh, uh, and then I looked up and, um, cause we are down low on the lawn and you could see they had these, especially in that era, they had this thing where it would be like little Jerry's kind of flying through space. And it was exaggerated for me because of, you know, the condition I was in. But like, it was like, Jerry saved me right there. Like I, I, I introspected enough. I was scared. And then right from victim into fire. And, and I think they may have done it one other time. I don't know. But like being there for that and that ride of being taken from the deepest of introspection and like literal like fear and anxiety, but right into the most comfortable feeling. Just when I'd had enough, there it was. And I looked up on the screen and there was Jerry, you know, playing the opening melody and then hitting that kind of wah. And, and it was just you like, ah. Yeah, thank you. And so like having those kind of moments, that was the first time I had a moment like that that took me all the way around. Usually for me, it was Jerry that would bring me back around um, just at the perfect time. And um, that's that night and that run of shows. Um, and particularly for me, um, 91 was the best year based on Jerry's livelihood condition playing. Um, I saw a lot of great shows in 91 and it kind of started getting much more sporadic from there on out. But yeah, August sixteenth, uh, ninety one uh, is worth taking a listen. What a I show! Gotta, I gotta, I gotta say a couple of things. I'm gonna listen to that after this, uh, after we're done here. To be honest with you, while I'm fulfilling orders for the store, but uh, I gotta echo a few things. So, uh, you know, the the Grateful Dead's ability—you kind of hit the nail on the head. Their ability to take what to to most people or to a normal person or often just even just a sober person. Uh, a, a moment or an experience that is fairly normal and, and making it profound. Yeah. You know what I mean? Whether it's playing uh, something out of the normal set list space or the way it's played or the energy brought to it, you know, and, and then what you're talking about that emotional roller coaster, right. And, and being emotionally challenged uh, dude, that's such a, like to walk through that gauntlet, right? Like, yeah. The experience of a grateful dead show, especially with a head full of psychedelics. <clears throat> it's not been a easy. a long time for me to experience it's not it that easy. way. It's not easy. It's not just a, no, no. you know, like <laughs> just a going to see, I don't know, fucking James Taylor or something. Or Paul Simon. Who knows? Yeah, I don't yeah, know, right? Yeah, like, yeah. absolutely. Uh, but to, to, to people like us, I'd venture to say, that challenge, like having made it through, and then it, it, with a little experience, having done it a few times, uh, uh, you know, uh, getting through it a, a multiple times feeling a little confidence to, to take it on the nose or take yeah, it on the chin, yeah. or, right? or to even look this forward too. to it like to, yeah, those to, challenging yeah. moments and then and then here's another thing i think that that to take what you just said and like expound upon it it was like okay you know i could do that i could get through that and, and they're going to bring it differently next time and i'm not sure what it's going to be or, or you know who's going to be around me what the vibe's going to be and that right, will affect right. it that's so let's important. do it three nights in a row and you know what yeah. let's do it six <laughs> out of the next and you, let me see if I could do this, 
you know, uh, 10 out of the next 13 and let's do Vegas, Shoreline, Cal Expo. Then you start almost challenge. Part of it was just for many, uh, just the addiction of, well, frankly, yeah. for me, the best way I could explain it, and I remember I took this girl to one show that I didn't think she'd like the Grateful Dead at all, right? But I had to take her. She was a close friend and was like, hey, I'm into this. I love this so much. It's such a, you know, a big part of my consciousness let's uh let's go and and she liked it and she looked at me at one point during the show and she and she put she thatched her fingers together and she goes it's like a puzzle it, it all kind of fits together like a puzzle and and i felt that and i think there was a lot of magic there especially when things were working and yeah. and, and and there was a lot of chaos like we you know talked mm. about and, and and resolve right and then it, it it seemed to always kind of resolve itself one way or another but i think what addicted me most about it was what I consider anyway, the capricious nature of Jerry, even when he was seemingly more healthy, he, he could have a rough few minutes, a rough song, a rough moment. As we all know, forget some lyrics, miss a couple notes, but at any moment he could come out of it. And, and, and I remember too, like, you know, really wanting to get up close and kind of watch what was happening. And he would turn his volume down low when he wasn't confident or feeling it, it was hard to hear him through the PA. And, and later on, you know, working with Ben Harper and getting out on tour, understanding a little more about sound. I'm sure Healy was greatly challenged to keep his guitar up at certain times, especially in the first set often. And then mm -hmm. what would happen is, you know, whatever it was, he would just suddenly feel something and turn on a dime from like, I can't hear him. Is he there? I, I want more. I want Jerry. And then suddenly a life changing moment on a dime. No, no warning nothing and 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 for me it happened often and and so kind of working through those moments of a show or sometimes not entire shows but but you know having some low moments kind of last longer than maybe they should have i think that's partly why everyone was was happy to deal with that and, and kept coming because at any moment he could change your life with one note yeah. on a dime and that mood that what i what felt i think natural for all of us of that he brought an authentic mood, maybe he wasn't feeling mm -hmm. it so much and we could tell. And then suddenly there he was in a catharsis and, and it just switched in a split second. And that authenticity, I think made us all feel like somehow we knew him. Somehow we Absolutely. knew him personally. He yep. was playing yep. without any talking. And, and, and that was what I think made me the most addicted of, of anything. It, it both at the same time, it, it, it made us feel more connected to him to the band, to the music, uh, but very much so to him. And it also uh, it almost felt like, you know, being in that challenge, in those challenging moments, uh, you know, it almost like brought a resolution to that, right? Yeah. Like, I, I, I honestly felt like, like you, you're right, like not through an entire show, uh, but for different parts of the show, up and down, right? Depending on the tone of the music, the energy of the crowd, the energy of the people around you, uh, the energy of the band members, right? You, what your headspace, uh, being confronted with different challenges uh, at different levels on that roller coaster and coming to different resolutions of it. Uh, and honestly, in a lot of it, yeah, Jerry having so much power uh with his emotion right with it with his I'll, emoting I'll put it to his this emoting. Way. when it comes to that part of jerry like the, I, I don't know you know for you guys or there was always like most shows i was with my brother right and, and you know 90 percent of the shows i went to and we'd be standing next to each other and we'd do this thing you know several times a sh show where we would look at each other and give each other the same shit eating grin and it was for the same reason <laughs> yep. every time it was like wait so what did jerry high. just do what was that like we've heard him do so many but but what, what how did he do what was that like that succession of notes or the way he bent a note like yeah we've heard stella blue and the way he bends that note and it's just like eerie but also feels so good but like this time he did it enough differently that caused us to look at each other square in the eye at the same time and give mm. each other the same shit eating grin that was like wow like what was or that even doing it, it, that with strangers right yeah like even with strangers yeah, yeah, that's in the a crowd good point. yeah oh yeah uh, i've fun. been at shows that's where fun. i've both uh, <laughs> within a matter of moments experienced the like darkest scariest holy shit i don't know what planet i'm on uh to the next minute like you said feeling completely safe and secure and at home and the answers of the universe are within me you know what i mean like uh, and not even exaggerating, like feeling so like, holy fuck, I'm on this scary spaceship ride. Yeah. Uh, and this band is out to get me or they're aliens or whatever craziness. Right. And then also like, 
holy shit, this is my family. This is the answer. Like I've got, you know what I mean? Like, you know, it's fun. Yeah, so yeah, secure yeah. In, in this moment and, and everything's perfect and as it should be. And this is the, the peak of whatever. You know? Yeah. I, I, you know, I, I, I definitely like people talk about that a lot and I definitely had that experience. Um, w- one thing that you remind me of is during that victim that night early in the second set, when I was starting to get real scared, um, I, okay, I'm going to sit down. Then I stand up, you know, I'm moving around my head, head's on a swivel. Am I going out this way, this way? Can I handle this? I'm going through all that. And usually it was always my brother who would either like put his arm around me or be like, Hey, you're okay, bro. Like he was connected to me and he kind of looked, mm-hmm. looked after me. But on, uh, in this moment, it was a, it was a total stranger. I remember sitting down and just taking a few deep breaths and going, okay, let me just, and, and then there's everyone's feet, right? Cause you're looking across, you're sitting on the lawn at shoreline. You just see thousands of feet dancing, moving in different directions. I, I looked up and felt like there was a guy on like a 25 foot unicycle with like a rainbow spiraling <laughs> of lights, like riding off in the sky. And I was like, uh, to this day, I still think that was real. Right. But anyway, that's yeah. what I'm seeing. And now it's getting to be overwhelming from a sensory and these two hands grab my shoulder and rub my shoulder. I turn around, it's this girl, and she could tell clearly that I was having a moment. And just her hands touching my shoulder, and she rubbed my shoulder for like five seconds. I turned around, looked at her. She just gave me the warmest smile. Nice. Gave her a hug, stood back up. Okay, a couple minutes later, there was fire on the mountain to take me all the way home. But yeah, those experiences with strangers, I think, are you know uncommon anywhere else i, I yeah. think i mean it's i guess that could they could consider that like people may say that's a provincial attitude right you know those kind of experiences don't happen anywhere else uh, maybe they do um, they didn't for me in life the, you know well, I, I don't think they happen on the same level as okay they do at, or at as frequently shows. as frequently and it's just like it's so much more like just about like what you what all of you guys have been saying about like this emotional thing like i didn't i was kind of I would as soon as I got clean again, what seventeen years ago? Okay, I started listening to the Dead again, and it was it was hard at first. Yeah, it was, it was very it was sad. Like, okay, I remember listening to the last show I saw in '95 in Pittsburgh, and I was a head full of ass, a head full of mushrooms. I was gone. Okay, and I just, the second set opened up with rain, it's pouring rain, all this, this huge experience, and like I just like let I like left my high school, I like graduated, like all this mm-hmm. experience was happening, and then the ends. Well, the second last song was uh, "Standing on the Moon," yeah. and I was like, I was so high. And they also had played "Terrapin." The Terrapin oh, wasn't yeah. great, but it was. It, it, it was still. It was like this emotion. It was. It's so emotional for yeah. me. Like I was like, this is insanity. You know, like standing with all these people I'd gone to high school with. <laughs> you know, I just just sold drugs to for years. You know, yeah. they, they took me to the show. You know, but it's just like, but at, at that level, this the camaraderie in this whole stadium. Like you don't see that anywhere. I mean, yeah. what are you going to go to? You do. I guess you could go see. Everyone has that about the, but maybe it's not as deep. Or that I don't emotional know, connection. It. Yeah, it's not. It's not probably not as deep. Um, but yeah, what what an experience that sounds like. Did you say that? Did you recognize? Here's another cool thing, and you just you just touched on it. Uh, did you just say that the terrapin wasn't that great? Right? Is that, it was. It like. The but more did you recognize it? Ah, see, that's what I love about it too, though. The recognition or willingness to say, Hey, that, that wasn't that great. I had a moment, but it wasn't, um, maybe this one was, but that one wasn't, or over time, like you said, you listen back, but sometimes also it's hard when you listen back to have as clear of a, um, audio really than, than you might've so had true. there, depending on where you were, uh, you know, at the show. So that, uh, that's well, a thing so true, too. the experience, you know, but listening it back now, you know, it's just like, obviously, you know, third to last day, Jerry wasn't, you know, up to. Yeah, that was, that was a rough year. It was a very rough year, but I think I mean, it's it easier just... to say that now with that perspective, <laughs> yeah. like knowing these things, right? I think when yeah, we're younger yeah. and we're it was awesome then. I was like, this moment, is amazing. Yeah. And, and yeah, we're yeah. doing, okay, I got we're doing you. I understand. Drugs, whatever they are. And we're more affected by all of these other factors. For sure. It's yeah. a lot, it, it's a lot less. Harder to uh, have a pure experience. It's a lot harder to, as we get older. Exactly. To yeah. really have that perspective of, is this good or not? We're not, we're just caught up in the moment and that's great. Yeah. And that's fine. Yeah. And we can listen to it 20, 25 years later, what almost 30 years later now. Holy shit. Uh, yeah. With a truer, more mature, more removed uh, ear, right? And, and mindset and, and see it for what it was, but still have that emotional attachment to the experience that we had at the show at the time, right? Definitely. Uh, definitely. But, 
Um, I want to talk a little yeah. bit. I want to talk a little bit. Uh, Rain, I'm sorry. No, go ahead. Cut you off. No, you no, you can finish if you want. No, go ahead. Uh, but I want to talk about some other fun music. Okay, um, yeah. I'm really intrigued. I'm really intrigued by your experience with Ben Harper. Okay. I, I really like Ben Harper. I think he's rad. Uh, I don't know his music super well. I've seen him a couple times. I've always really enjoyed him. Uh, from what I know, he seems like a rad human. Yeah. Uh, you know, and, and I know you worked with him and were pretty close with him yeah. from what I understand. So I'd just like to hear a little bit about uh about that about your experience what you did for him how that all came about sure so um uh, actually i'm glad you asked because it kind of ties right in we were just talking about you know 1995 so from the time sequencing you know once jerry passed away i remember um i i was you know just like many i was just like i felt like my uncle or grandpa died that you know maybe i even love to hate to admit it but more than my uncle or grandpa not really but you know the the spirit of that right <laughs> mm-hmm. I, I don't mean that in like a it's more deprecating than anything anyway so my mom called me broke the news i was um at cal poly san luis obispo and um i had just missed the shoreline shows end of summer 95 since i was on the west coast you know that was a must you know always trying to hit both sets of shoreline shows each year but I, I had like a flu and looking back on it, even right then I was kind of being a baby and I just didn't go, gave my tickets to a friend and missed those shows. And then I got tickets through mail order for um, what was Devorah. It was gonna be, I think early September or late. Um, I think it was gonna be, yeah, I think it was like September of 95 and I still have those ticket stubs. They took them back and put the Jerry stamp on. So um, I was so excited for those shows. And then, so so now I'm kind of reeling just like everyone else is. And, and there's a huge live music void. I think one of the things with a lot of us is that we, um, as much as we like the Grateful Dead or not as much as, but you know, live music is inspiring. It's a big part of our lives. And, uh, and so that void just came front and center as the year went on into 96. And so I thought, okay, let me check out a couple of Bob Weir shows and, 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 and support this and, 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 and see how it goes, you know? And I, and so I did that and frankly, just didn't really enjoy it. Love Bob absolutely love him and his playing and everything but i just i just wasn't going to be something i could keep going and doing i could tell it wasn't that interesting for me or it didn't hit that that place inside me that i would keep going like i had done so i ended up at laguna seca days which was um, may i think it was like memorial day maybe um of 96 and um bob weir was playing the festival and basically um at the raceway and um I heard this guy, I, I had no idea who Ben Harper was. Uh, and I heard this sound coming from the stage and I'm like, wait, what is that? And, and I got a little closer and, and saw him playing an acoustic slide guitar sitting in his lap facing up. I had never really seen that as much as I love the blues. I, ha- I had associated slide guitar more with like a bottleneck slide or just, you know, playing a guitar more upright traditionally. And, and I was just mesmerized by it. And, from th- and, and so from that point on, um, I don't want to quite say it had the same effect as the Grateful Dead, but you know, I definitely like kind of went on tour um, in the mid to late '90s um, and got to know Ben a little bit just from going to a lot of shows. Started helping the crew out a little bit; they, they were funny, and I had never worked on a road crew at that time. But these guys, you know, I'd stay late and just kind of stare at the stage and look at all these guitars and, and watch them. I was kind of interested in what they were doing after this whole sort of orchestrated ensemble of activity and they'd be like hey if you're gonna sit there grab this case man help us out and i was like all right <laughs> sure awesome. thing wow. um and then and then so the slide guitar was what you know i really took with me as something that i i thought he was doing that was really innovative um i hadn't heard it before so i took it a step further and i went into a place called guitar traditions which was in santa monica 10th and broadway and um, an old friend of mine, Bill Asher, um, I knew that he was building custom. He was taking these um, 1920s um, Weisenborn acoustic guitars that Ben played. And, and it was hard for Ben to tour with them because they're, as, as much as um, they were kind of fragile, as, as, as beautiful as they sound, they were kind of fragile. So he, Bill Asher, built these electric kind of acoustic versions, solid body really, that Ben could really wail on. And so, so now we're in like the late 90s, 2000, I go to the shop 
And um, I had I had heard of Bill Asher before. I knew what he was building, and I just told him, "Hey, man, I did you know did you know his connection to Ben at, at that I time? I knew he was building like these guitars. I had, um, there wasn't much inter internet around, um, but I if like one of the things Bill did is like usually the logo or the artwork for a luthier is on the headstock, right? Because okay. the guitar is kind of facing the audience when somebody's playing, and that's the mark of a luthier. But here, when it was sideways, um, Bill added this Asher signature, which was his logo, on the side of the guitar. So when I was watching Ben play, I would see this Asher. So I just kind of researched it a little bit and saw that he was building these one-off guitars, but it was a guitar repair shop that he was doing it. And this was the beginning of Asher guitars. And, um, wow. and so I went in there cool. and I said, Hey, I, um, you know, I'd been to a ton of Ben Harper shows over the last four years. And I just said, like, I want to get more involved in this, learn more. I know nothing about guitars, did not play the guitar at the time. I said, look, I'll, I have some, you know, I was like, I have some experience, like I could help organize the shop and, and probably help you with some marketing and, and kind of help the flow of the shop go better. Cause he was a repairman, Bill, who um, also kind of had a lot of different responsibilities. He was, I learned a lot from Bill in the sense that he was a guy who's an artist but he's also a pragmatist and he's also good at marketing and photography. And so I started learning and helping him with those things. And I just started sweeping up the shop and I said, look, I'll come in, sweep up the shop, look around, watch the guitar techs work. Uh, won't bother anyone. You don't have to pay me. And if at some point you find that I'm adding value to your business here, the shop helping out, you can just pay me whatever you think. So I ended up working there for a couple years um, maybe three years and, um, started, um, you know, helping him out with the, the photography, the shop flow, and also taking time to learn about guitar, staying late. Um, there were a couple of guitar techs there in particular that would take the time to show me different things. And so, um, then one day Ben walked in to pick up some guitars cause, um, Bill also repaired some of his vintage guitars and of course was building these, um, electric lap steels. And we just started talking and uh, so we, we kind of became friends and, and, and what happened was one day he basically asked me if I wanted to come work for him because I think he could, you know, kind of understand that I wanted to get out on the road and, um, he had storage units full of all kinds of different instruments that he needed someone to help organize and kind of categorize and make sure the right ones are getting into repair, ready for the road. He, um, he needed that. That was like a component he was missing at home. And so he hired me, wow. we, we started working together and, and we out of this moment where a few months in, this was, this was probably like 2001 now at this point, 2002. And, um, one of the things to go back to Asher that was like, for me was like a pinnacle moment is we took a field trip cause I'm working at the guitar shop to Japan with Ben. And that was probably 99 or 2000. And so we went and did the Japan tour with Ben and, and what an experience that was. But so then, wow, yeah, yeah, I mean, it was oh, just shit. like to go there and, and it, it was like, um, looking back now, it was the only time I would end up, um, actually going there and hanging out with the guys and not having any responsibilities. And I just had so much fun. I just, <laughs> wow, you know, I, that sounds other like than, yeah, cause, cause soon after that I was working for him and, um, you know, it's a grind out there, but, but here's like kind of the moment that we had that, that, that I think speaks a lot to, to Ben, how great of a, how great of a guy he can really be is that he, he gave me a schedule and it was like, okay, Hey, the bus is going to pick us up here. And it was a solo acoustic tour Bonnaroo. Um, this was, I think 2001 or two, um, it, there was a show up the Sasquatch music festival up, um, at, I think it was at the gorge. And so he gives me this schedule, this itinerary. I'd never been on tour as like touring personnel. So I, I just kind of looked at it and was like, he's like, okay, come up, up to my house. The bus will pick us up here. And Leon Mobley, who is, plays with uh, the Innocent Criminals with Ben and the Innocent Criminals now was um, going to play percussion. And it was just going to be the, these, this set of shows with them two only. And so I looked at him and was like, okay, so um, uh, what, just so I know, I want you to be comfortable. I want to be like, just tell me what will be expected of me. Cause I want to make sure I, you know, I can do it all. And he goes, well, you're going to, you know, take care of my guitars. And I was just like, listen, like I'm happy to do it, but I want to make sure we didn't have a misunderstanding. Like I'm not a guitar tech. I don't know how to play the guitar. I, um, I, I really like, um, I'm not sure. Like, I don't want to mess anything up for you. You know, th these are important shows, big shows. I've watched you play for years and he goes, I'll teach you everything you need to know. 
I got you. And he gave me, and wow. he, he basically gave me awesome. all of his main guitars. And just, um, this was just a few days before. And he's like, go, go, go home and work with them. And I had this mini bench. I said, and I just reached, I took the strings off, put them back on, tuned it, you know, played the basic notes. Cause I'd learned from watching at Bill's shop enough to know which notes to play to make sure the guitar's working right, staying in tune, stretching the strings, making sure there's no like, uh, burrs or anything in the nut slots or the strings pulled up all the way through the bridge on acoustic. So it's suddenly somebody's playing and may, may hit their thumb down on one of the bass side strings and the thing snaps because so there was these little things i had learned and i just practiced for like a few days straight um take off the strings put it back on whatever and then and there i'll never forget too i i mean i had no idea what i was doing and and and, and i was scared and i was sitting there with ben in the trailer before the show and, and this is one of the funniest things about him why i realized like this guy's really cool. I had a tie-dye on. I didn't know that uh, as part of a road crew, you, you, it's just known you wear a black shirt of whatever kind. It's a black shirt. That's what you wear. You're on stage, but no one could see you. I had a bright tie-dye. It was my NBA uh, playoff Bill Walton face in the middle of it, you know, uh, whatever live, whatever he called it, the uh, 30 days and 30 nights. I don't remember. This is this bright tie-dye, though, with Bill Walton's face in the middle. And I'm sitting there talking to Ben. He doesn't even mention it. I'm just like, okay, man, I'm a little bit scared. And what I quickly learned later is you want to do the opposite for the artist. You want to make them feel comfortable, got you, whatever. But I, I didn't know what I, and I was just right. communicating. <laughs> I didn't communicating with them, having no idea. And we just, and we built a relationship based on that kind of like openness and vulnerability. And, and he said, dude, you got it. Don't worry about it. And I'll help you out. Like, and this is an artist, you know, that's at a level at that time, even that's playing, you know, um, big shows, selling out Greek, Berkeley, whatever. And he's tr entrusting me and willing to help me, you know? And so there I am on stage with the tie dye on tuning his, his, his wise and born sitting there, you know, scared shitless, right? Looking out to the scared <laughs> hands are shaking. I, God, I want to make sure it's perfectly in tune, ready for him to come out. And the, and, and this, uh, the sound girl um, at the time, she was handling monitors. Gosh, I forget her name, but I, I would end up traveling with her. And, and she was classic, longtime San Francisco head. And, and she, um, she looks at me, right? And she's, she's talking through her earphones to like the front of house. Okay, this monitor, that, more of this, strum, this, and she looks at me, <laughs> whispers in my ear, what are you wearing? Well, you, you, you're wearing a tie-dye, like you're Ben's guitar tech. Like you're sitting in his chair right now with a bright tie-dye on. And she was like, you, you're out of your mind. And that was like our first, hi, how are you? And so like, you know, for Ben, for any artist to take someone on at that point um, in their career in, in, in such a vulnerable position, when really these other guys, I was looking around, like they knew what they were doing. I mean, they could wire up Seasons. a rig, they could handle a problem on stage yeah. in seconds. And, I, and, and, you know, over the course of the next 500 shows with Ben, I, I understood that and learned how to do it pretty well just through the exercise of it. But we did build a close friendship that really, you know, I feel was predicated upon having those kind of open and vulnerable moments. I think part of it was just timing. Part of it is, you know, we just connected. I'd, you know, I'd help him out around like the, the house, like I'd video a couple of his kids basketball games when he, um, you know, had to, you know, had to go do something and couldn't be there, things like that. So it was, it was cool. We developed a close relationship. And then um, just to kind of fast forward, what ended up getting me into the clothing industry is um, one of the things with Ben around that time, if you look back and, and I was very interested in the fashion as the way he kind of saw it. And we would travel around the world and get different textiles and different kinds of denim, Japan. Mm. And, and so I, that really sparked the first interest in design for me. And it was, and it was cool. late nineties and Ben would take a lot of turns. I learned something about him um, where like, he kind of would keep everyone on their feet. I don't know if he did it consciously, but just when you think he was going to turn left on something he was always going sharp right and it kind of made just in his life or music well i mean just um musically for sure and and for me at that time i was i was looking i was starting to look at fashion like for example he had a lot of um his kind of ethic in playing and 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 style growing up came from the folk music center which is uh, a music store that i think three generations ago now that his grandpa great grandpa started that's also a museum half of it is a music store half of it's a museum all acoustic instruments from around the world it's in claremont where they grew up and he grew up 
uh, working on. It's like South repairing. LA near kind of yeah, Long Beach like almost, inland. Right? And, yeah, I think it's a little more inland, like um, yeah, okay. pa- southeast of Pasadena, like Inland okay. Empire, Pomona, oh, okay. Claremont. Okay. Um, yep, I think the pits or colleges or colleges there. Um, but but anyway, so um, so so he like um, the the patterns. This is where the jacquard started for me. Those what really um, traditionally would be considered like folk patterns. Um, hoot and nanny the, the simplicity of those patterns he had a collection of guitar straps um, the richness the colors um, they were woven on certain kinds of looms um, it just captivated me um, and and then he was also into denim so I so he'd have a denim and I started getting into like denim shirts jackets trucker jackets western shirts and and so one night I remember I just I just saw he had this like it was like what I call granola, right? Cause it had browns and mustard, my favorite, a little touch of red through the weave of the pattern, which is really like yarn actually. And over an indigo, dark raw indigo work shirt, over shirt. Wow. And I was just like, wow. wait, like, so I started looking for jacquards, vintage jacquards. And that was probably like also right around that time, like early two thousands and um, wanting to make clothing, wanting to make, uh, Western shirts really that were tailored well, that were well tailored, that were um, limited because they were using vintage fabrics and then accenting them with these jacquards. So I just kind of started this massive search um, for all kinds of vintage textiles. And what I had in mind at that time was like a tailored Western shirt, denim, corduroy, flannel. So I, uh, so fast forward to like 2008 i just wanted to start a clothing company and design clothing and and one of the things that being on the road was doing to me when it was enough years was that i would kind of look around me and these these guys i was working with were you know a lot of them were you know 10 to 20 years older than me at the time you know i'm in my early 30s they're in their 50s and you know you hear them arguing with their wife or missing their kids or you, you know just it, it goes on mm-hmm. and on for years and years it's a grind it takes a physical and mm-hmm. mental Where's yeah so i kind of yeah. knew my time was running out it was something i really wanted to do and coming from like going to grateful dead shows as a fan and having that experience and then it's sort of transitioning into having that experience as a fan with ben and then going out on the road working with him for you know about probably eight years on the road um I felt like that whole thing ran its course and it was time for what's next. Uh, I was having trouble with things like, you know, um, there's a Saturday night live show. Okay. It's going to be on. So we're going to fly out here. I'm going to get these gear items. He sends me the list. I grab them, um, you know, middle of the night, get it ready to go over here. I'm going to fly out to New York. Um, and then, um, and then suddenly it's off and it's okay. Got it. You know, that's how it works and back in whatever. And then, Oh, it's on again. And, and, and just like the nature of, there's a lot of those last minute and, and it's like, you know, they, there's a classic saying, hurry up and wait, you know, I don't know, maybe, it, mm-hmm. maybe you guys have heard it, mm-hmm. and think, but it's just yeah. like, it's suddenly it's hurry up and wait. And then you're like, kind of wait and then boom, there you got to go again and rush. And it just wore me out. So I basically, uh, you know, left, um, amicably, you know, um, what my whole thing with him was like, I'm going to find someone to basically, cause now we had taken the, I think Pearl Jam might've been one of the first, definitely one of the first bands to sort of have a HQ, a headquarters. And in the headquarters was like all their gear, a place they could rehearse, probably, you know, also record, um, you know, uh, a skate ramp in their like case where they could just blow off some steam and, and, and sort of, you know, exercise their hobbies and be creative in different ways. Just this place that was like home for the band. And that was one of the things I wanted to do for Ben. We had talked about doing, but I didn't quite get that far. We were on the road a lot, but to kind of consolidate all the gear to one place. And so what I told them is, look, like, I'm gonna, we're going to find someone, I'm going to help you, who's going to be able to um, finish off this vision. And basically my thing was, is make me look lazy. That's that this guy's going to be really good. And I'm going to make sure we hire a guy that makes me <laughs> look awesome. lazy. And, 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 and I think the guy that came in ended up working with him for like 10 years or so, but I just went wow. head first, straight on, dead on into the clothing business, making, um, shirts and jackets, uh, tailored from scratch, limited edition, um, for several years from like 2008, till um i started woven free in 2015 thanks again randy be sure to check out 
our website for more info on today's guest, Randy Friedman of Woven Free and other fame. <clears throat> uh, Dead Tour Tales is brought to you by your friendly neighborhood Dead Merch, Wing Nuts, always a Hoot Studios, James and Brandon. Big thanks to our behind the scenes maestro, our producer, Kevin, Grandpa Kev McCracken. Uh, don't forget to check out our Dead Tour Tales merch at deadtortales.com. We have a couple killer designs by our friends and grateful artistic contributors, Ben Korn and Aaron Cadigan. Also, check out our other site, alwaysahootstudios.com, where you'll find a wider array of Grateful Dead-inspired merchandise, including rad-printed tees, tie-dyes, hoodies, bitchin' socks, some cool hats, uh, the Terrapin Station Thrasher beanies have been a big hit lately. We do see our Cena Circumstance slash Tiger in a Trance embroidered caps that we'll be coming out with soon. Those are going to be killer. I'm looking at proofs of those lately. Those are rad. Uh, also pins, stickers, posters. Uh, and right now we have a few more of our one-of-a-kind high-end embroidered Levi's jackets with our exclusive Alan Forbes Cosmic Jerry design embroidered over 120,000, or sorry, over 200,000 stitches embroidered directly onto the jackets, those we did in collaboration with Randy of Woven Free, as a matter of fact. So a few of those still available in the store. We'll be taking those out in person to events that we'll be doing in the next few months as well. So if they last. Lastly, if you haven't taken, if we haven't taken all your money yet, please check out our Patreon where you can subscribe for a few measly pennies a month have the opportunity to receive access to our bonus video footage, sticker packs, t-shirts, maybe an opportunity for a live call-in to the show or even appear on an episode to talk with us about your experience roaming the lot with a balloon in one hand, a grilled cheese with bacon in every motherfucking bite. What's up, Tom? And the other, trying to find a ride to the next show or maybe a QP of boomers to take home and rage at your local college frat parties. Does that sound familiar, anyone? Anyway, thanks for listening. We hope to see you out on the road sometime. In the meantime, make sure you come back and check out next week's episode. It's going to be a hoot. Summer's fair and roses